Welcome back to another Kung Fu packed episode of the Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains Man, where I, JVD, attempt to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artist in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. If you want to talk about the podcast, either one of the characters, comics, or anything in general, you can check me out over at The Villains Demand on Twitter. Before we get started today, I need to make a note of this for everybody listening to the podcast who's really wanting to follow continuity. Now, as we go on, obviously there's so much Shang-Chi more than there is Iron Fist, and Iron Fist is getting ready to make his debut and run a whole story during Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Now, what's getting bad about some of this stuff is, based on publication date, one book may jump continuity after jump back into continuity after it's already past its point so what i'm going to start doing is in the show note of the issues i'm going to tell you you know this go has continuity that goes here so you might want to listen here if you're wanting to listen to everything in continuity uh, in an order otherwise personally for myself to keep things more logical and more i guess logistics I'm keeping by series. For instance, um, sometimes Deadly Kung Fu might have a story that takes place four issues ago that we've covered in Shang-Chi. So, just what I'm saying is, for this episode, jump in the show notes, see if there's anything like that. You're going to start getting some of that here and there, and I just kind of wanted to throw that out here at the beginning of the episode for everybody who's really wanting to follow continuity. But if you're really paying attention and whatnot, you'll be able to see where things take place at because I will tell you on each podcast when this comes up. Now today here on Daily Podcast Kung Fu, we're jumping back into giant size Master of Kung Fu number three called Fires of Rebirth. Uh, They're really starting to crank out these giant size books and uh this one and the next one's publication dates are very, very close. Um, and usually those are like maybe a year apart. They're almost like an annual in a way. And But these are pretty fast. And it seems like back in the day that Marvel used to do that with these, you might get one every six or four months instead of a year. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the overview of Fires of Rebirth. While walking the streets of New York City, Shang-Chi notices a man has been following him. Upon confronting the man, he presents our hero with his credentials as an agent of Her Majesty's Secret Service, stating Sir Dennis Nayland Smith sent him. Believing the stranger, Shang-Chi quickly finds himself the fool as the backseat of the agent's car is a trap that boxes him in and fills up with poison gas. As the car speeds off, Shang-Chi punches through the roof to escape, stopping the driver and causing him to crash. Upon inspection of the body, he finds an amulet that identifies the killer as a member of the Fansigars, an Indian sect of an assassins who work for Fu Manchu. And by Indian, I mean Middle Eastern, not Native American, for those who cannot get with the times. As the cops arrive, Shang-Chi flees to Sir Smith's home for fear that he will be arrested for the murder of Dr. Petrie. Upon arrival, Sir Smith's butler informs Shang-Chi that he is not home but that the agent wishes to meet with our hero upon his return. Later on, one of Smith's associates, Clive Reston, arrives and is shocked to see the Fansigar amulet. On cue, three of them leap through the window and attack the two heroes. After a brief skirmish, Shang-Chi is hesitant to trust this newcomer, but at the behest of Sir Smith does so. 
Both traveled to London to meet Smith and Black Jack Tar at the British Museum of Natural History, where the fan cigars have ransacked the antiques but have taken nothing. The attacks in London and New York City lead to a dispute between Clive Reston and Sir Dennis Nayland Smith on where Fu Manchu is located between the two cities. As Tar squashes the debate as they walk through the museum, the four are attacked by Fu Manchu's deformed experiment slaves, posing as Neanderthals, furthering the rift between Smith and Reston on what Fu Manchu's current scheme could be. The group next travels to Scotland Yard, where Shang-Chi learns that Smith has cleared his name in the murder of his friend and ally, Dr. Petrie. Meanwhile, we meet Shadowstalker, the most elite of the C-Fan assassins, who is ordered by Fu Manchu to follow Smith and his crew. Rushing to the palace, a fan scar assassin flattens the tire of the car carrying the four heroes, prompting Shang-Chi to give chase on foot. This proves to be a distraction as Shadow Stalker attacks Black Jack, Tar, and Reston, easily dispatching them and kidnapping Sir Smith. With the muscle of the group hospitalized, Shang-Chi and Reston travel to Buckingham Palace where the fan scar have already started their invasion. As the duo takes out some of the assassins while one of them flees, giving chase to the lone fan cigar, they are led to a secret passage in the room. Knowing this is meant for him alone, Shang-Chi gives Reston the good old nerve pinch as he enters the lower levels only to find more hidden doors. Traveling further into the unknown areas of the palace, Shang-Chi is shocked to find Dr. Petrie alive and hooked up to one of his father's machines. Fu Manchu reveals himself, telling his son the truth of what happened with the doctor. He had made the perfect clone for Petrie to replace with the real one he had kidnapped and that sending Shang-Chi to kill it was a test of loyalty. Though everything went according to plan, Fu Manchu did not expect Sir Nayland Smith to turn his son against him. But with Petrie captured, his mind was probed for information to help the villain stay ahead of Sir Smith and Black Jack Tar. As Shang-Chi is captured by his father, Fu Manchu reveals his plan is to do the same with Smith but gives his son a choice for his own amusement. He has Shang-Chi chained to a post with Shadowstalker within a fighting pit. If he wins, Smith dies instantly. But if Shang-Chi loses, his father promises he instead will die instantly, and Smith he will kill slowly. As soon as the fight begins, it ends swiftly as Shang-Chi manages to break free of the chains and defeat Shadowstalker. Choosing against the death, Fu Manchu releases Vipers into the pit and orders the fan cigars to kill Smith immediately. On the opposite side of the pit, Clive Reston appears, shooting the assassin about to kill his boss and saving the day, but allowing Fu Manchu to escape. With Smith and Petrie saved, the doctor reveals Fu Manchu's supply of elixir of immortality is running low, and he was unaware that years ago, after defeating the evil doctor, he had taken an elephant statue as a souvenir. Little did Petrie know the statue had some of the elixir within. Smith expresses urgency to retrieve the elephant, but knowing the statue was broken during the Phantasar attack in New York City, Shang-Chi talks him out of it. With Petrie now alive, our hero takes his leave, grateful that the doctor is alive, but still feeling guilty for attempting to murder him. Now the big thing I want to point out here is we have a timestamp in regards to the events and adventures Shang-Chi has been up to on this point. Uh, much like last episode with uh, the Iron Fist, we discover every issue up to Marvel Premier number 25 was a year in the timeline of Marvel. Now as for Shang-Chi, Marvel edition to now has just been over a year. He states this in a flashback when referencing the murder of Dr. Petrie. Um, so, you know, if you want to add up the months when Shang-Chi came out compared to the debut of Iron Fist, so you've got Shang-Chi, uh, 
in the Marvel's uh, special Marvel edition was December of 1973, and then Iron Fist's debut was in May of 1974, at five months apart. So Shang Chi being over a year ahead at this point kind of adds up. It makes a lot of sense. We have some new characters here in this story, and uh, first one we're going to talk about is Clive Reston, since he's the most prominent of them. And uh, his setup for you as a reader is you're not supposed to like this guy, and they they really like push it right out of the gate. So first, he gives us a letter from Smith to Shang-Chi about how he can trust Clive. And this is already set up, because we've seen the distrust in the beginning of this book with the... Uh, Fan cigar assassin posing as an agent for uh, Nayland Smith and whatnot. So right there, they're already trying to get you not to trust him. Second, uh, he becomes pretty annoying very, very quickly. And uh, we realize that he's very prideful and like conceited in regards to his family lineage. And like when he first met, meets Shang-Chi and they defeat the fan cigar assassins that attack them, he's already referencing his father and how his father... You know, could be related to Shang-Chi. And then we see this with his great uncle on the plane ride to London. And he's always making these references to his family. So he's very conceited and very prideful. And, and it's very annoying. And I would imagine if uh, it's kind of like when, and, and I've come across this a lot in life, is like when you say you have something or you've done something and there's always that one person who... Seems to have done what you've done, or they have something a little bit better than what you have done, and it's like that all the time, and it's very annoying. Uh, I used to have a guy we called Michigan because everything you had or done, he had done, but only in Michigan. So uh, that's kind of funny. Okay, third, he admits to not wanting to come meet with Shang Chi at Smith's request, laying the seeds of the rift between the two agents which is a major part of this story. And, every, and like as soon as Clive Reston and Smith meet up, it's very instant that they're not all that fond of each other. Clive Reston literally does not have the, the bond that Smith has with Black Jack Tar. So I'm wondering if maybe his father worked with Smith and maybe that's why he's on board with Smith. So I'm curious to see if something like that unfolds with the character here down the line because that would make a ton of sense. Lastly, he's graphically violent compared to Shang-Chi and he's graphically violent even compared to Black Jack Tar. Um, during the first fan cigar attack, he manages to tangle one of them in a pair of curtains and then he punches him through the railing on the stairs and lets him plummet to his death. And then the second time during the Neanderthal attack at the Museum of Natural History, uh, the, one of the Neanderthals kind of has him grappled and lifted up, and he grabs his gun and point-blank shoots it right in the face. So he's very graphically violent. And what's weird is he smokes one of them old, like, pipes, kind of like you would think uh, Sherlock Holmes would smoke. So like I said, they really, really push for you not to like this guy, but... It turns out better because he's the big hero at the end. And if it wasn't for him, you know, no one would have been saved. So, uh, The second new character we get is Shadowstalker. Uh, he's the most elite of the sea fan assassins. And he looks like Tong Po from Kickboxer. If you've never seen Kickboxer, go watch Kickboxer. Go read Giant Size Master of Kung Fu number 3 to check out Shadowstalker. You will see that he looks like Tong Po from Kickbox, or I should say backwards. Uh, the first question 
is I have about the character is why is he being used now if he's so elite? This right here, we're starting to get into the close to issue 30 on Masters of Kung Fu. And why has not this assassin been around yet? I mean, obviously, if he lives in Fu Manchu's fortress, it would make a ton of sense that he would already uh, fought Shang-Chi. But apparently not. Now, second, this guy should be an elite assassin of the Fansigar, since they are the new assassins that Fu Manchu is employing. It would make a lot more sense for him to be a Fansigar than a C-Fan assassin. Kind of gives credit to these new assassins because, you know, we've already had Tack and uh, I cannot tell you a lot of these guys' names. We've had Midnight. You know, we've already had all these people that are tied to the Sea Fan. It'd be nice to see this character kind of be a face to the Fan Cigar. So when we meet Shadow Stalker, it's just a one panel page of him, but we instantly find out how much of a badass he is. For one, we know that Black Jack Tar is the muscle of this book. He is like the bodyguard of Dennis Nayland Smith and he is taken out with a flying kick out of nowhere it's almost like an RKO out of nowhere and boom Shadow Stalker lays him out even cripple like basically kind of cripples him because he puts him in the hospital we see him get you know carted out on a stretcher and then he's instantly right in Clive Reston's face takes him out and kidnaps Smith so we also know right out of the gate that he's a pretty uh pretty good badass now his image does get a little goofy as the book goes on as uh, him and Shang-Chi are tied to this post with this chain, which is really, really cool. It's I like the idea of this. But he has a double flail wrapped up into his uh, his big ponytail. And it looks completely goofy. Uh, stupid, stupid, stupid. And the thing is, it, it works against him. Because during their quick fight, Shang-Chi uses the flails to his advantage to break his chain. To get space from Shadow Stalker. Then he runs up kicks the post that their chain is tied to, breaks in half, and when it breaks in half, it flies up and hits Shadow Stalker in the face and knocks him out. So, for a guy who was set up to be a badass, boom, KO'd instantly right on the spot. Now, I was just talking about the fan cigar, uh, the new assassins for Fu Manchu, which um, they are, they come from Thuggy Killers from India, which is actually a legit thing. I, I looked this up. Their whole origin really doesn't divert much from the one Shang-Chi gets about how they've moved from India, basically, to China. But uh, Fansigar, it means using a noose. And uh, this is reference that, with the characters, that they actually use garrotes in this issue. Uh, some of the guards, I think at Scotland Yard, were all taken out with garrotes. And we actually see one that throws some small bolas that wrap around someone's neck in this book. So they really kind of stick with that. And uh, the cool thing about these guys is when they slay a victim, they leave a, the dragon amulet that they wear as a calling card. Um, and, I, and I like that, but it's weird. If you're assassins, I don't know why you would do that, especially if you're a group of them. Now, uh, other than this, the between these guys and the sea fan, there's not a lot of difference. They're just fodder. I mean, it doesn't matter how dangerous they are. They're both just minion fodder for the heroes. Uh, now, they do dress different. We know the Sea Fan, uh, each like member had their own unique, you know, getup and whatnot. Now, the Fansicar, they're all, like, in uniform, so they are all dressed the same. They all look the same. And the thing is, um, they don't resemble anybody from India at all. Uh, you know, when you think, um, India, you think, uh turbans and scimitars and stuff like that and you, you don't get this if anything these guys look like they are um wearing the sleek 
pirate rogue look that people love in RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder instead of, you know, cultural Indian garb. You know, so basically every guy wears cuffed boots, they've got a tricorn hat, a bandana over their mouth and jaw, and they all wear a cloak. So none of them look like traditional, like, Indian thuggies. Uh, they all look like sleek pirates, so. Uh, but at least, you know, they're uniformed. I guess that goes for something. The thing is, we know that Shang-Chi has this code against killing. Like, he doesn't want to kill, but yet he's very mercy. Like, he shows no mercy with these guys. And it seems that both fights, he kills every one of them except for the one that he takes hostage. Uh, the second time of these fights is the most exciting in the, in the whole issue. It's pretty cool. Um, for one, he follows them to the museum and walks in while they're ransacking uh, the, after murdering the Scotland Yard guards. One is sitting behind the door when he walks in, and he's dressed casually, you know, like in civilian's clothes. And he hears him breathing on the other side of the door, which he proceeds to punch through the door and knock this dude out. So, um... Afterwards, he gives the others this chance to give up, and like any Fu Manchu minion worth their weight in gold, they don't, so they attack him. So the first thing he does, he disarms one of them while roundhouse kicking the other two. Then he blocks those two that he just kicked, he blocks their incoming sword strikes, right? And then he leaps up and scissor kicks out and takes both of them down while grabbing their swords. Then he, while he's in the air, he shoves swords into the table underneath him, right? Then he grabs with the hilts in his hands, he uses them to throw himself into a drop kick, right? To KO one of them. And as he's coming down from the drop kick, he still holds onto the swords, he pulls them out of the table, and he throws them at one of the assassins to pin him up against the wall so he can take him alive. It's a very, very cool moment. And if I remember a couple days after I have this episode posted, I'll try to get it on Twitter. Very, very, very cool moment. Now, the first action in this issue is very 80s. It's a car chase. And uh, for one, Shang-Chi being a fool and getting in a bad car is just, in a way, ridiculous. He should know by now not to trust anybody uh, that he meets right out of the gate. So basically, this car he gets in, it has shatterproof glass. It kind of, like, rolls down the back, and it kind of comes down to the sides, and so he can't break the glass. So what does he do? He punches through the metal roof, which is pretty, pretty cool. I really like that. And then as he, like, is struggling to hang on, he punches through glass. He grabs the dude by his tie and yanks, and that's how the car wrecks. He makes the car uh, steer out of control, and that's kind of cool. And then he does some acrobatic flips and lands on his feet like a cat and basically kills the dude. But this leads to something very important about the entire book. And it's the fact that Shang-Chi, since his debut, has been wanted for murder for Dr. Petrie. And this really hasn't been touched on a lot. Now, it's referenced twice before Smith reveals that his name's been cleared. And it's a good setup for the twist that Dr. Petrie is alive at the end of this. Because you're not expecting it. If anything, you forgot about the character because he was literally in like two panels of the book. So, what's interesting about this is Fu Manchu perfectly cloned Dr. Petrie, right? So, and he was boasting about this, so how do we know the Petrie that they just saved and found isn't a clone too? I mean, it, it would make a lot of sense for Fu Manchu to set them up to think, oh, I cloned him and you killed him, this is the real one and it's actually a clone, and 
I don't, no one wants to get into Clone Saga stuff if we've learned anything from Spider-Man. But, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see if that's what happens later on in these books. Now, outside of being disappointed with the Fansigars and the Shadow Stalkers, I was very disappointed with the truth serum in this book. Um, there's no crazy hallucinations uh, that the assassin has that we're aware of because we see the interrogation through the POV of the heroes. And if you remember the last giant size, uh, number two, the hallucination Shang-Chi scene were wild. And we don't get anything like that. Now, um, oh, speaking, speaking of potions, uh, I'm curious to see how things will play out with Fu Manchu running out of Lixel or of immortality. Because we've seen some of these other characters that he knows drinking this stuff, like uh, Crane, the samurai assassin that we've seen really early on in this stuff. Um, he was taken. So the it brings up the interesting point that you would figure he would never run out. So has he been stealing the elixir from somewhere? Or did he just like have a supply he took from somebody and now he's running out? So I'm very curious to see how that pans out well this kind of brings me to the final thing and i don't want to carry on here because you know i'm getting really close to 30 minutes here i'm trying to keep these all under 30 minutes an episode final thing i want to touch on though is the neanderthal exhibit at the museum these neanderthals and the like dinosaur prehistoric exhibit are actually assassins now i would assume that these are much like the experimental slave people that fu manchu had from a uh, deadly hands of kung fu number two I'm assuming these are the same type of people, but they're more under Fu Manchu's control. And uh, I think there needed to be a reference to that there, because in Deadly Hands, we have seen these guys show up twice. I think number nine and number two, or in Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, that we've seen these characters show up, These this group of people. And if these are these type of group of people, it should have been referenced. So I'm just going to assume that they are the uh, experimental deformed slave people. Now, uh, two of these guys die horrifically, and I've already mentioned the one with Clive Reston, how he just point blank shoots the other guy, one of them in the face. During the fight, there's they're in a dinosaur exhibit, right, while this is going on, and Blackjack Tar takes one and basically throws him into the jaws of a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton, right? Next, Shang-Chi kind of kicks one in the air, but like over his head and past him, and it lands on top of the skull, slamming the jaws shut and killing the one that Black Jack Tar threw in the jaws. It's a very, very brutal scene. I loved it. It's a very, it's a cool fatality. It kind of reminds me of something that you would get out of Eternal Champions, the old Sega game with the uh, caveman guy. How the dinosaur would kind of show up and eat the people for a fatality. Really cool. Loved it, loved it. And it's probably the most brutal thing so far in Masters of Kung Fu in Deadly Hands of Kung Fu since Midnight accidentally hung himself back in Special Marvel Edition 16. I loved it. It's a really, really cool moment. As I wrap this up, there's a lot of mysteries here that I'm really interested in. The uh, Petri clone, the whole thing with the Elixir of Immortality, you know, does he actually know how to make the formula, or is Fu Manchu stealing it from somewhere and he's out of it? I'm very curious to see how that ends up. I do like Clive Reston as a character. I'm very curious to see if he will show up uh he was a pretty big mainstay in this book but as we learned in the last giant size issue of masters of kung fu brand new characters sometimes just don't stick around but to go ahead and wrap this up 
And I'm JVD. You can follow me on Twitter over at Villains Man. If you like the Villains Man, you can check us out on our Facebook, Instagram, and the personal Twitter account for the page. If you're on Podchaser and this is how you found the podcast of Kung Fu, please leave me a rating or leave me a rating wherever you can. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you don't like it. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. But while you're there on Podchaser, check out the In Nerd Circle. You can find this podcast along with our other crossover collision podcast, the fictional battle podcast that I host. And uh, go follow a lot of those podcasts and check them out. I'm sure you'll like some of them. If you like my music, check out Rushing Tiger by Ku Rover and Sal Klein. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. But in the end, guys, remember, support your favorite podcasts, support your local comic book shops, and keep reading comics, guys.